All right, so Psalm 42, if you have your Bible or your device or whatever, you can get there. Um, what we're doing for the summer is really basic. It's the summer psalms. We, we do this on occasion through the summer just as a way to sort of uh, take, take it a little easy in the summer. It's a time of year where people are kind of hit or miss at times. You go on vacation and do your thing, and that's great. Uh, but we want to just have a series where, where it doesn't have to build on top of each other, right? If you go through a book uh, like, like one of Paul's letters or one of the Gospels or something like that, then everything's building on itself, right? So it's hard if you're missing weeks. And so the Psalms are nice because you can just take a Psalm on its own and talk about it every Sunday is a different issue. Um, so this morning we're going to tackle Psalm 42. And I, I love this Psalm. I love it because it, what it does is it speaks uh, to, the, to the spiritual struggle of believers that every single one of us faces. Every one of us can identify, I think, in this psalm with what they're saying. Um, and it just identifies with our pain. It identifies with, with our struggles and difficulties and, and doubts and fears. Um, and one of the things that the psalms is really profoundly good at is helping us understand uh, that, that human beings are complicated. We're not just cut and dry, clear case, situational things. We are, we're complex beings. And, and there is a, a real struggle at times in our hearts to, to love the Lord, to get what he's doing, to understand what, what he's after. Um, and that can cause doubt and fear and, and even hopelessness at times in our hearts. And so this psalm is going to help us see Jesus and, and how we can go to him for our uh, fight for joy and hope in our world. So that's really the overview of it. You're going to see that as we walk through it, that this psalm is, uh, it, it's a complex uh, deal. It's sort of dealing with the, the inner issues of the heart and how that all works in our relationships with, with Jesus. Uh, so let's start here in, in verse 1 and 2. And we'll just start reading it and stop and talk a little bit as we go. Um, and so here's what it says. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, that, those first two verses, particularly the first one, uh, is pretty familiar to us. If you've been in church a while or you, you, know, um, you know, you've seen a lot of like Christian-y kind of coffee mugs or t-shirts or things like we we throw this verse on it and we put a little picture of a fawn you know hopping through the forest um and it's all cute and it's nice and whatever that's not what he's getting at here uh it's, it's not a positive thing that he's bringing up here in fact this is a really um terrible thing that he's drawing out what he says is as the deer as a deer pants for flowing streams is that a positive thing or a negative thing? It's, it's negative. It's negative. It's bad. It's, you're, he, this deer is dying of thirst in the wilderness. There's no streams. And it's, it's about to die. Like, that's not a happy picture. <laughs> we read it and go, oh, isn't that so cute? You know, the deer's hopping through the forest and it's happy. And so my soul just wants Jesus. Uh, no, what he's saying is, is his, he's near near death like spiritually he's dying and he needs the lord he needs the lord to come through for him this is a, a dying deer 
in the desert. And, and even though we put these things on, on coffee mugs and t-shirts, it's meant to draw our attention to a painful reality. Uh, the fact that human beings are not, especially Christians, are not always happy and fulfilled and in a place where they, they feel like, where we feel like everything's going great. There are seasons in life, and for some of us, those seasons are long and um, seemingly uh, forever. For others of us, it's periodical and occasional, but all of us have faced uh, seasons of drought, spiritual suffering and drought, and, and feeling like our souls are going to die. Um, we've, we get that, right? I think we all have understood that to some degree. And so what he's doing here at the beginning of the psalm is saying, my soul thirsts for God the way that a deer in the desert is thirsting for water. Desperate, absolutely desperate that he gets that, uh, that water. And so it's absolutely essential that he gets to God. And he's just asking the question, when will I come before and appear before God? When am I going to see God? When am I going to actually be able to tangibly experience his presence in my life? When is that going to, He's crying out for, for help here. What the psalmist is saying is, if, if I don't have God, I'm not going to make it. God has to come through for me. And this becomes even clearer as we keep reading the psalm. Verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So again, not a happy picture. I know you're here Sunday morning and hoping for an uplifting thing, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, we'll get there, I think. Um, but this is, this, is just, this is human reality. This is the, the experience of the human person. As we struggle through the circumstances of life, as we struggle through spiritual depression and hardship and difficulty, we, we have to ask ourselves these questions. And, and, and what he's saying is, is he's been crying. He's, his tears are like his food. It's all he's getting is just he's weeping or she's weeping. I mean, whoever, right? I mean, anybody can put themselves into this. And, and, and then, it, then they say this, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Who, is the, who are they talking about here? Uh, when they say, they say to me, who is they? Well, in the context, it's their tears, right? The, the te- their tears are their food all day, night, all day and night and, and say to them all day long, where is your God? We can get into seasons of life where we just don't see him and we just don't know where he's at. And, and again, we can understand theologically, biblically, mentally understand that he's there, that there's, there's truth in that. He's, he's not, he has not abandoned us. He has not forsaken us. Those are true things. But sometimes we just don't see the truth that's in our heads connect to our hearts. And so what can happen is this, you go through this season and all you're wondering is, where is God? Where is he? And so he, this sets up the psalm for us um, and what what this is dealing with initially is how um, the human experience can be a bad one, a negative one, a hard one, because we live in a broken, fallen, sinful world. 
And, and we ourselves are sinners and broken people. And so we struggle in that. But the psalm doesn't leave us in that, that place where you're just kind of wondering, where is God? It doesn't stop there. If it just stopped at the end of verse 3, this would be really a sad Sunday, right? We'll just be like, where's your God? Okay, go home, have fun. Um, that's not where it goes, though. By God's grace, that's not where it goes. So let's keep reading um, verse 4. He says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go to the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So, so here's what happens, right? That he starts this off in a really depressing way, you know, just a sad way, dealing with this, the struggles of his heart, saying, uh, I, I am like a deer that's dying in the wilderness. I need God to show up. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just crying constantly. I, I, the, my tears are telling me that there is no God. Uh, what am I to do? And so what he does in this text is he puts his mind to former things. He reminds himself she reminds herself of who God is and how great he is and how worthy of worship he is. And, and so it begins with saying, these are the things that I remember as I'm going through that season of spiritual drought and brokenness. I remember the days of going before the, the procession of the people of God in worship. So this, is, this was written not by David. David wrote most of the Psalms, but this was written by uh, a group of people called the Sons of Korah. And we don't really know very much about the Sons of Korah, uh, but they were probably some, some kind of worship leaders of some kind in, in Israel's context. Um, and so they're writing a, a fair number of the Psalms as well. Uh, but this is a song. This was written to be a song sung by the people in the congregation. And it, and it's just a really honest song. It's a song about the, the human struggle to understand where God is in difficulty. And yet what we need to do is put our minds back to who he is, how worthy he is, how glorious he is. And, and then in verse 5, we, we see this example of asking ourselves a question actually asking our souls a question. And the question is, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? So, so again, going through these, these seasons of spiritual pain and hardship, uh, is, it's not easy to go through it, but we have to get to a point where we start to ask ourselves the question, why? Why am I so broken over this? Why am I so distraught by this? Why am I in, in turmoil over this? And, and then, regardless of the answer to that, we have to preach a message to our hearts. We have to give ourselves the good news of the gospel. And that's what he says here at the end of verse 5 uh, and the beginning of verse 6. Hope in God. He's speaking to himself, the, the psalmist is. The, He's saying, hope in God. Why? Because I will 
again praise him. It will happen. Things will get better. We will praise the Lord again. And, and then, they, then he reorients his heart to who God is, my salvation. That the Lord is my salvation. The Lord will come through. The Lord has a good plan. The Lord has a purpose in this. He is my salvation and he's my God. And so he's asking himself the question, why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? Why are you asking these questions? Here's what, here's what he has to say to himself. Hope in God. God will come through. He is who he is. He doesn't change. We just sang a song about how he's yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. He doesn't change. Our circumstances may change, but our God never changes. God is faithful to save. God is faithful to have his purposes accomplished. And we need to bring that back to our hearts in the seasons of struggle that we face. Notice here that the the psalmist is not suggesting that the season of struggle is inherently wrong. I I don't think that we can say that because I think it's just a part of being human. It's a part of being human. But what we have to do in the midst of those seasons is continually remind ourselves of the hope we have in God through Christ. So so let's keep reading though because again, Now, if we stop there at the end of verse 5, 6, we would say, okay, uh, you know, this is great. Let's just call it a day and and be done with it and leave on a good note. But the the psalm actually continues. And look at the very next line. Um, It says, so I'll go back to verse 5. It says, hope, uh, sorry, verse 5. Yeah, why are you cast down, O my soul? He asks himself that question. Why are you cast down? Then he says, hope in God, for I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. The very next line is, my soul is cast down within me. (laughs) He just told himself to not be cast down, but to hope in God. The next line he says, well, I'm cast down. What is this telling us? It's telling us that people are complicated. It's telling us that our heads can understand something, but our hearts don't always understand something. We, we know often what is true, but we can't get what's true to feel true. And, and so this is just going to kind of continue. He's going to go into sort of the second spiral downward. And, and here's what it says. So he says, my soul is cast down within me, Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and of Mount Mazar. So what we're going to see as we go through these verses is sort of this back and forth, negative, positive, negative, positive, just sort of almost, I don't know what, what to label it, but just very conflicted. We'll put it that way. Very conflicted. So he says, my soul is cast down, but I'm remembering you, Lord. And then verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now again, we might read that and go, well, that's, that's good, right? That's God, God is like, you know, showing up and he's, we could read it that way, but that's, I don't think what he's saying. I think what he's saying here is that, God, you are, you are trying to kill me. <laughs> have you ever been to the ocean 
or uh, you know we're flatlanders here, so maybe the maybe the the, the uh, wave pool at the water park. Either way, you go into something like that, and you got these waves that are just coming in, and and eventually what can happen is those waves knock you down, and once you're knocked down, it's like it's really hard to get back up. It's really hard when those waves and those breakers are crashing over you. That is not a happy thing. <laughs> if you've ever had that happen to you, it's a terrifying thing because you think you're going to die. Uh, I, I remember as uh, maybe nine or ten years old in a wave pool, I could swim. I was fine with water. All that was fine. But I just got overtaken. And I remember very, even now, distinctly going, I felt I was going to die out there. Someone pulled me out. Some random guy pulled me up because he saw I was struggling. That's the thing, right? You just kind of get like, you're, you're tired, you're trying to get up, and you're, you're not able to, and just keep, they just keep coming. They don't stop. He's saying here, I think, that this deep calls the deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. <clears throat> I don't think that's positive. I think that's him saying, God, you are crushing me here. You're, you're just ruining me here. You're... you're knocking me down and you're keeping me down. But then he goes again, he flips again in verse 8. Day by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So there's, he's going, yeah, you're, you're trying to kill me, but, but you love me forever. <laughs> and then he says, the very next verse, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? He just said that God's steadfast love was with him day and night. The very next line, you've forgotten me. What in the world is going on? Right? He's saying, you, you have, you're crushing me with your breakers and your waves, but you love me forever. Oh, oh but you've forgotten me, and I just go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemies. It's this, it, this is the human experience, isn't it? This is what we do, what we struggle with. It's like we are just so overcome by the struggles of life that in some seasons, we understand what God's doing and we're happy with what's happening. In other seasons, we're thinking he's, he's out to get us, he's out to destroy us. This is how we feel. He says in verse 10, as with the deadly wounded, my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Notice that repeated again. It was, it was stated earlier. The first time it was from his own tears saying, where is your God? Now it's from his enemies, his out, outside enemies, his adversaries taunting him. And so we can sometimes convince ourselves that God is not there. At other times, we can believe the lies of other people. But either way, we, we experience it. And, and so he goes, where's your God? Now, verse 11, this is going to sound familiar too. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Here, here's the thing that I want to just address this morning. How do we fight for hope? In a broken world, in a, in a flawed world, in flawed selves, how do we fight for hope? And I think fight is the right word for this. Um, I, I think 
that we have to actually actively engage our hearts to feel the hope that we have in God. I don't think that we get there just by accident. We have to be intentional. And I think that the very clear message of Psalm 42 is that we fight for hope by preaching the gospel to our hearts and continue to preach it. Notice how he goes through this whole thing twice in the psalm. And you know what? He could keep going. It could just keep on being this cyclical thing where he's, he's struggling. He reminds himself of God's grace and goodness and kindness and all those things. Then he goes through another cycle of hardship. And then he goes and reminds himself again. And you could just keep that pattern on. But I think that's exactly what we all face to one degree or another, right? It's not like everyone is not an emotional wreck all the time. But all of us can experience hardship. And in those moments, what we have to do, what we've got to get ourselves to understand is that Jesus is the good news that our heart needs to keep hearing. Jesus needs to continually be brought forward in those moments of difficulty and pain. And so we preach the gospel to our hearts. And, and guess what? We also have a role as the body of Christ, as the church, to preach this to other people's hearts as well. You know, so much of um, Christian uh, counseling, help that we can offer other people is to simply remind others of the grace of Jesus. It's to continue to bring out the, the goodness of God in the midst of our struggles and difficulties. But this is what he does in the psalm. The psalm is about this, your struggle, and then you're reminding yourself to hope in God. You're actually telling yourself to hope in God. Because you're not going to just do it on your own by nature. You've got you've to preach the word into your heart to, to do that, to get it down, drill it deep into your heart. And with the reminder that, that God is good, God is your salvation, God is with you in the midst of these hard things. We've got to continually get ourselves there. And so um, I, I want to take the rest of our time, since we've looked at the psalm, I've, I've been trying to do this with all of our passages in Psalms is how does this connect to Jesus? What is the connecting you know, point here? And I think um, that it's really not too hard to get there on this one. Right? I mean, it's, it's in the Psalm itself. Um, but we have to recognize that when we say hope in God, we're talking about a specific God the God of the Bible, who is revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we, we, we go to Jesus and we know God through Jesus. Jesus is the bridge that gets us into fellowship with, with God and the Holy Spirit becomes the comforter in our hearts to continue to point us back to Jesus um, who is our bridge to the Father. So we, we, we see the Trinitarian God at work in our lives. But oh, I want to take you particularly to one passage and we can go to a lot of passages, but I'm going to take you to one uh, in the New Testament, and it's Romans chapter 5. I, I think we could make this um, the same point from Romans 8. We could make the same point from uh, uh, numerous passages in Paul's letters or in the book of Hebrews, but Romans 5 um, really makes the connection between the gospel and our hope. And so that's what I'm trying to connect us to, right? Because the theme of Psalm 42 is hope in God. So, so how do we find our hope in God? 
through Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul answers for us in Romans chapter 5. We're going to start in verse uh, 1 and work our way probably down through verse 11 or so. Um, but this, you're going you're gonna to hear the, the clear articulation of the gospel, of what Jesus has done for us, which is what then is rooted, or where our, where our hope stems from, I should say. It's the, it's the root of our hope, is the gospel. So let's look at it. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just stop there and talk about what that said. Um, Paul, pr- prior to this, is making the case that salvation is through faith in Jesus and only in Jesus. Uh, that salvation comes through Jesus as we trust him, as we give our faith to him. Now, um, he does that by building, in Romans, he builds a case. He first dismantles any hope that we have of being good enough to save ourselves. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3. Then chapter 4, he's really dealing with uh, the issue of Abraham uh, in the Old Testament as an example of faith in Jesus that we emulate and become a part of his family as we trust in Christ. And then so then after making that case that we are saved by grace through faith, he says, therefore, because of that, we have been justified by faith and we have peace with God. So what does it mean to be justified? What does that word mean? It's a theological word. Um, and we, you know, sometimes we'll use it uh, in, in certain contexts, but, but theologically what the word justified or justification means is to be made righteous before God, to be declared righteous before God. In other words, you could say it this way, the, the classic you know, Sunday school way of explaining this to young kids, and I think it's super helpful, is that being justified means that it's just as if I'd never sinned. Okay? Just as if I'd never sinned. Yeah, you get that? Uh, thank you, Sunday school teachers, for that one. It, but it's helpful because it puts us in a position that is, it's just as if I'd never sinned. As far as God looks at me, he sees righteousness. He sees Jesus' righteousness because of uh, the work of Christ, not because... We're inherently good, but because Jesus was perfect, lived in our place, died in our place, rose in our place, and because of that, by trusting in that, we are now justified and we have peace with God. So we're no longer at odds. We're no longer his enemies. We're no longer, he's not against us and we're not against him. We're at peace through Jesus. Verse 2, through him, through Jesus we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And here it is. um, And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What, What happens here is this, that as we enter into faith in Jesus, what we receive is all grace. Grace is another theological word, biblical word that we need to unpack a little bit. And grace is a word that means unmerited, undeserved favor, kindness, blessing. You can put a lot of words in there. But undeserved favor from God. 
And, and so often, you know, at least in Protestant churches, we, we really emphasize, and I think rightly emphasize, the unmerited part of grace. Like we're all about, yeah, I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. God did this for me. That's good. That's absolutely essential. But we often kind of gloss over the favor part of it. What grace is fundamentally is that God looks at you and he smiles when he looks at you. He doesn't frown. He doesn't cross his arms. He, he gives you his blessing, kindness, favor, mercy, etc., etc., which is all undeserved. In fact, it's so, it's so much more amazing when we realize how undeserved it is. And yet it's just lavished on us. It's poured out on us. He says that we have obtained access by faith into this grace. This grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So here's what we're seeing. We're seeing that the good news of Jesus gives us hope in the midst of our difficult and suffering lives because he... Um, has just chosen by, his, by who he is to give us this kindness and mercy and grace. But let's keep going because we, we can unpack this even more. Verse 3 says, Not only that, we don't just rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. That's interesting. We rejoice in our sufferings um, knowing, he says, that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So there's a, there's a lot there, right? Too much for us to unpack this morning, but, but here's fundamentally what Paul is saying. He's saying that it is the hope that we have is rooted in, grounded in, the, the good news that Jesus loved us and died for us and, and died for us not when we were good and deserving of that, but died for us when we were at our worst. And in doing so, by us trusting in him through that, we become in a position of justification and of peace that then allows us to be standing on this hope that God will not turn us away. He's already done everything that had to be done 
to make us right with him. And so there's nothing that we can do or not do to make God love us less or love us more. He, he, just, he just pours his love out on us despite the fact that we're sinners and so undeserving of his love. And so that's, that's the good news, that even in the midst of suffering, and that's really what Psalm 42 addresses, right? It addresses suffering, whether that's internal angst, struggle from within, or whether that's external suffering. We all suffer. We all are going to suffer. And yet what Paul points us to and reminds us of is that Jesus gives us hope in the midst of suffering because his love for us compelled him to die for us to make us right with God. And he even goes further than that. He even suggests here and states here clearly that our suffering is a means by which God uses to get us to be more like Jesus. And so we can hope in suffering, rejoice in suffering even, because that suffering is at work by God, by God's own design to help us become the people, the men and the women who reflect Jesus more and more. You go through this list, he says we suffer, that suffering produces endurance. So suffering could do one of two things. Outside of Christ, it it can cause us to throw our hands up and quit. Within Christ, knowing that we are secure in him, we are held by him, we are loved by him eternally because he's justified us through his blood and through his death on the cross, right? We know that that produces a different kind of response to suffering and it's not quitting, it's enduring. You know why we can endure through suffering when we understand the gospel? It's because we can put ourselves in, uh, in our situation and look to Jesus in the midst of that and say, how much did Jesus suffer for me? He suffered eternally, right? I mean, he, he suffered the whole weight of sin and the whole weight of God's wrath. Something that we, have, we will never taste if we're in Christ. Something we will never experience in Christ. He suffered that on top of suffering all the other normal human things. He suffered hunger. He suffered loneliness. He suffered rejection. He suffered in every possible way that we can suffer and more. And so when we look to Jesus in the midst of our suffering, we can see the product being endurance because our suffering, honestly, let's just be real, it doesn't feel this way, but it pales in comparison to Jesus' suffering. I know it doesn't feel like that, which is why we've got to continue to remind ourselves of these truths. We've got to keep putting this in front of us. If we don't, we're going to convince ourselves that we're just so worse off than anybody. No one suffered like us. And that's just not true. It's just not true. And so, uh, I mean, the thing, the thing is, the interesting thing, this is a little, little off subject, but I'm going here, um, is Job... You know, the book of Job is a book of, about a man who supposedly was a pretty decent guy, didn't do a whole lot to, you know, be, he wasn't a bad person, and he suffered, like, horribly, got sick, lost all of his kids to a tornado that crashed down their house and killed them all. I mean, he lost his entire wealth, all of the animals that he had that was his li- livelihood, all dead. The dude suffered. 
right? The dude suffered. And, and yet what Job reminds us of is that Jesus suffered even more than him. And so Jesus suffers more than us because we don't suffer like Job suffered, <laughs> most of us. And again, I know that that doesn't feel like that in the midst of it. When your whole world comes crashing down because of an illness, because of the loss of someone, because of things that are really, really hard, it doesn't feel like, you know, your suffering's not so bad. But, but what, we, what we have to remind ourselves is that, yes, our suffering is bad and it's painful, it's hard, and yet Jesus, in his sufferings, gives us hope because he endured the cross he despised the shame and he joyfully went there for you. And so that produces endurance in us. And then he says that that endurance produces character. Character is another way to say becoming the person that Jesus wants you to be, right? You start to reflect as you endure through suffering, you start to reflect a little more and more how Jesus is. And as you begin to see that work out, what happens there? It produces character, produces hope. Why is that? Why is our personal growth in Christ, becoming more like Jesus in the midst of suffering, producing hope? Well, because it's evidence of the fact that God is actually real. It's the only way to explain it. Right, Because if you're suffering, if you're going through hardship, if you're going through such horrible things and you still begin to grow in Christ and not quit and not give up and not throw in the towel, then what other explanation is there other than Jesus is at work in your life? And that produces hope because it points us back to him. It doesn't point us back to ourselves and going, oh, look how great I am. Look at how well I can go through this. No, it puts us back to Jesus because we have to give him all the glory for that progress. And he says that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died for you because he loved you and, and he poured out all of his love on you. Instead of all of his wrath and anger, he pours all of his, his goodness and joy and, and, and all the things that we, we come alive in so that even in the midst of, of difficulties and sufferings, we can, we can live for him because he's made us right with him. Let me just put it this way, put it into some perspective that's helpful for me. If being justified before the Lord means it's that we stand as if we've never sinned, that, we, that he just gives us all of his righteousness and we get all of his grace and all of that is, is for us, if that's the position we're in through faith, that means that there's nothing that we can do or not do that, that changes that. So, so here's the solution. If God is happy with us in Jesus, what else matters? At the end of the day, what else matters than Jesus being pleased with us? And if he is, and he is if we've trusted in him, that's the thing you got to remember. He is pleased with you. He, he does love you. He is for you in all things. He is. And so if that's true, what else matters? You, you just look at how the apostles, Paul and all the others, suffered for Jesus and yet they did so without a whole lot of, of uh, 
care in that because they knew they were, they were secure in Jesus. If you're secure in Jesus, it doesn't really matter what the world throws at you. It doesn't really matter what you throw at yourself because Christ is at work and he's doing what he intends to do with you to make you more like Jesus. And I get that that's not like in the moment, that's not like super you know, great to hear. <laughs> but we've got to hear it. That's why it's okay. It's, it is okay for you to be angry at God. It is. I've said this before. God is not rattled by you if you're mad at him. He's not sitting up on his throne sh- quivering because you're angry at him. You can be an- He's secure enough. You can be angry at him. The psalmist was angry at the Lord. Many of the psalmists were. There's a place for that, but we can't stay there. We have to get through that season and into the, the bringing the truth of the gospel back to our hearts. And, and we need to have this ministry of our, in, in ourselves as well to the rest of our church and family and, and all the, the people around us that we can serve in this way too and go, you know what? I know your heart, you're going through a hard thing. I know it's painful. I know you're mad at God right now. There, that's legitimate, but you can't stay here forever. You've got to get to a point where you say hope in God. Hope in God. Because if Jesus is happy with you, and he is, then, it, then everything else can fade away. So we need to get that through our heads. We need to recognize that the Lord is our salvation. The Lord is our hope. The Lord Jesus is the one who can get us through what we're going through. And you know what? Here's the great thing about the Christian faith is even if he doesn't get us through it and we die, we win. <laughs> like you don't have anything bad to, to, to get to on the other side. It's all good for us as we go through hard things here because Jesus is for us. And we need that reminder. We do. We need it. Because every one of us, this is the truth, every one of us will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This is a different psalm, but here we go. (laughs) You'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. We don't fear death as Christians. I mean, we might, emotionally, we might, you know, intellectually we might, right? But, but uh, existentially, that's a big word, um, we don't because the Lord is with us. And his rod and his staff, they comfort us. And so the, all of this ties together into Jesus has made us right with him. He has done all this through his death on the cross. He's accomplished all this. And so what do we have to lose? Nothing. We have everything to gain and nothing to lose. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, but, but again, going through suffering, it may take us some time to get there. But eventually we've got to get there. So uh, I hope that's encouraging. I hope, I, I've been praying. This is a tough one, right? It's not easy when you're dealing with suffering. People suffer. And I, I've suffered, you've suffered. It's not fun but we've got to be reminded gently and graciously of the love of God in the midst of it so that we can point ourselves and others to it. So let me pray for us um, quickly here, but then we're going to partake of of the Lord's table together in just a moment. And 
we're gonna, this is the first Sunday of the month, so what we've been doing over the last few months, we've started this routine where we'll pass the plates uh, and you'll, you'll take a piece of bread and, and a cup and we'll partake of it all as one family rather than what we normally do the rest of the time is we have the table set up and you go by yourself, um, which is fine too. Um, but once a month, we want to hone in on, on this. So uh, let me pray and then um, I'll explain communion to us and we'll go from there. Uh, Father, thank you for Jesus. Uh, It is only through him and by him that we are saved. Um, We thank you, God, that the truths of the gospel can resonate in our hearts in good seasons and in bad seasons, and that you are our comfort and our hope. We pray, Father, for your, your gospel, the good news of Jesus, as we set some time here to partake of communion, that we would be reminded of your love, reminded of the sacrifice you made for our sins, and and be drawn back to you this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.